You think you have life figured out? I never feel like I got life figured out. Men have to figure out what they have to do. If you really have an obsession to figure it out, you will figure it out. Figure out who you are, don't apologize for who you are, and then become even greater than you naturally are at what you are. Yo, what's going on everybody? Welcome to episode number 16 of the Fit Faux Podcast where I have conversations with amazing moms, dads, and thought leaders of all different industries to help me figure out how to become the father I want to be for my young girls. I'm pumped to have you here for another amazing conversation, and this is a first for me. I'm having a husband and wife duo on the pod. These two are accomplished authors, high achievers in their industries, and new parents uh, with an all-around impressive story about resiliency and how they've overcome alcoholism and drug addiction together. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services announced that in 2021, 46.3 million Americans age 12 and older battle with alcoholism or drug abuse. I mean, that's 16% of the country, and it's an epidemic that I'm sure has hit home for so many people that have listened to the pod. So I'm grateful you know, to have Sarah and John here with me today. These are two parents that will not only inspire you with their story, uh, but how to grow as individuals and parents. John's a disability and inclusion leader at Amazon, and Sarah is a 17-year HR veteran focused on career happiness and mindset. During this conversation, we discuss their road to recovery, how to help those that may be battling addiction themselves, and how loved ones might start to approach those difficult conversations with those struggling currently. We also discuss their impressive book launches in depth, you know, their experiences for becoming authors, also how they approach mental health, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion in ways that I hadn't thought about it before uh, might open your eyes as well. And also how they're consciously approaching those biases with their young son, so that way they're always talking about it in the household. So with that said, I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Mr. and Mrs. John and Sarah Alemo. All right. Well, I am very excited today. I've got a first time, two guests at once, a husband and wife duo here, uh, very dynamic, I should say, uh, both being new authors, which I'm so excited to talk about. So Sarah and John Alamo, it's a pleasure to have you guys on the FitFo podcast today. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, We're thank excited you. to be here. Yeah. And I just want to follow in her footsteps, honestly, so it makes it easy. <laughs> Yeah, I know. So I got a lot to talk about today with you guys. Uh, I always like to preface, you know, this is a podcast about mostly being a father, uh, being a parent and talking about, you know, things that we're going through together. Uh, so we give the best ones for our kiddos, uh, but also trying to figure out different topics to learn. And for you guys, got a lot that I wanted to discuss, uh, both recently launching books or within the last year or two. Uh, so definitely something I'm curious to learn about. I'm sure my listeners will as well. Uh, obviously, your guys' path, uh, how you guys met. Uh, sobriety, a big part of that journey, I believe, and uh, also just you know milestones and things you guys are going through as parents uh, as you're newly uh, in that journey. So, uh, ladies first, always uh, would like to begin. But Sarah, uh, we've had a chance to meet on LinkedIn, so it's been great. We're practitioners in the same industry, uh, so maybe if you want to start with a little bio and intro about yourself uh, to share with the listeners, that'd be great. Sure. Oh gosh, I love networking. I was John was like, "How do you know this guy?" I was like, "Oh gosh, I don't know." LinkedIn. Like, who do we know each other from? But yes, from the from our industry. So from the recruiting, staffing, HR world. I feel like we kind of connect with everyone, and we have that kind of kindred spirit of you know being in the trenches together. Uh, but I've been um, in the recruiting and HR space now for about oh gosh, 
way too long, <laughs> 17 years or so. And um, uh, then I um, just put out a book about my uh, recovery around the exact same time that I started career happiness coaching. So I wrote my memoir. I put all of the good, bad, and the ugly in there. Uh, and then I had another opportunity soon after that to write with a number of business leaders talking about the X factor for ourselves professionally, uh, which kind of tied in a little bit with my memoir because that's really when kind of my outlook on life and my profession, uh, pretty much everything changed. So that's when my X factor changed. Oh, I love that. So the first book, Perils and Probation, right? Perils and Probation, yeah. Oh, I get it now. Okay, just click. <laughs> and then uh, the X Factor, that's one where you did with a couple other like authors at the same time, right? There was like a co-written book? Yeah, there were, oh gosh, I think about 15 of us and they were from all over the world. So that's how we hit the international best-selling uh, list, which was amazing. It was a really cool opportunity to write with others since I had put the first book out myself. And that can be just like being a, you know, a solopreneur, an entrepreneur on your own, uh, that can be really kind of a scary, lonely journey all by yourself, even though you have editors and whatnot helping you, but it was just me and just my story. So it was really cool to get to work with other authors and go through the process together to learn other ways of doing it and other perspectives. Oh man, well. Two books launched in the last two years. That's very impressive. So uh, now I'll come over to John. If you don't mind, maybe telling us a little bit about your background, yourself, and your newly published book that you've got. Yeah, absolutely. I'll go ahead and publish. I'll show you the book first here: <laughs> Diversity and Humanity. Uh, very similarly, right? Um, you know, eight eight categories. Number one for launch day. Uh, just a great uh, platform we use. Uh, organizational change being the leading category, uh, but uh, soul publishing. Um, is the uh, is the group there, um, and it's a really great model that allows uh, you know leaders uh, or folks that are passionate in, in their industries to come together, uh, and not to bite off a whole book, but to you know publish a chapter in a book, um, you know on a, on a theme. And this theme was diversity, and really how can you um, you know show up uh, to be your authentic self in the workplace, uh, and challenge the status quo, and leave the world a better place essentially. Um, so it's uh, it was a really great experience. Um, again, there was uh, 11 of us authors that contributed to this book uh, and it was global in nature. So great marketing campaign, uh, the momentum still going. Uh, so it was really fun and we can talk more about the book. But my background uh, is really, you know, currently today, I'm actually in a, a diversity business partner uh, at Amazon. Um, and uh, my focus is on disability inclusion as well as mental health. Uh, and we can talk about this more in depth later, but you know, through my own lived experiences, uh, I was able to create some community uh, in the workplace around mental health and having conversations uh, around you know ourselves and uh, who we are and not living uh, and suffering in pain and having access to resources and you know building a community that you can tap into to leverage to really you know be a better version of yourself uh, on a daily basis and uh, reduce that stigma around mental health addiction in the workplace. I found myself uh, through that work. Um, and uh, identify with being neurodiverse um, today, uh, which is part of my story as well. I am a veteran uh, additionally, and uh, I'm a father. Um, so it's really exciting. But previously I was an engineer, I built data centers. Uh, so this is a, a new line of work for you over the last five years, uh, you know, through uh, really finding my passions, uh, you know, at a lot of organizations. 
Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. I didn't know as much of that background, but uh, yeah, being in the IT space myself, it's been fun to work with you know engineers, architects, uh, definitely in infrastructure in the past, but uh, to hear that you've gone from that, switching and flipping the coin to now where you are today, pretty impressive transition. So I want to start with your book since we're on it. Uh, so maybe going a little bit deeper, like peel that onion bag for me. You had a chapter in the book. Uh, what was yours about in depth? And then also, you know, how did you guys get it to be on eight number one lists? You know, week one, month one, like what did you guys yeah. use to hack that? Yeah, let me start that, that first. So it's a several month process um, where, you know, the, the publishing company, uh, Kaylee O'Keefe, uh, finds authors uh, that can really uh, touch upon a certain area of, of uh, topic or conversation. And we come together um, on a, a monthly basis to you know, contribute thoughts to really arrive at that book title and the actual contents that are gonna be in there before we put pen to paper. Uh, and then we, you know, we write and then continue to meet uh, and familiarize ourselves with the other authors. Um, and. Um, and you know, then you know, she puts a whole, together a whole marketing campaign as well as we approach uh, the month leading up to the book. Uh, so you know, there's all kinds of social media kits and uh, you know, uh, you know, work available to help you uh, individually as well as the book overall. So you know, uh, she really built a great mechanism to you know enable folks to be heard uh, and for it to have some visibility. Uh, an impact. So uh, it's really exciting to be part of this. I think uh, we've heard been our most successful cohort so far, mm -hmm. uh, which is exciting. Uh, awesome. So, you know, wish her more success uh, in, in her endeavors. But um, yeah, you know, continue the momentum of, uh, uh, you know, what I, I do, you know, personally, and I was able to bring that into the book. Uh, and that's really being able to find myself, uh, identity, uh, you know, who am I? Um, and that process of coming to that uh, was really around challenging, you know, stereotypes and cognitive biases uh, that I had really ingrained in my, you know, my, my neural pathways uh, due to limited exposure and experiences um, and just not, uh, you know, familiarizing myself with, uh, you know, other, you know, social groups or uh, norms or just really uh, questioning, you know, the validity of those uh, cognitive biases, those kind of, uh, um, I guess you could say, uh, the brain, um, you know, is, uh, it fills in those holes, uh, I guess, when we don't have the information. So if it's doing that, it's not always truthful. It's not always accurate. So, you know, really being able to, you know, understand that that exists, how it does exist, and then being able to put truth to it. And, uh, you know, when you start to identify what those look like and you know, that there's conflict, you know, with, you know, how you're spending your time and your value system, you know, really start to prioritize, you know, you know, how you spend your time and, you know, what, how you, uh, you know, grow and, and better yourself. So, you know, really it's just a, a step in the right direction of, you know, self-growth and development. So you can show up as a better person, you know, be a better ally to others uh, and, you know, do your part and, you know, leave the world a better place. So that was my contribution. Oh man, that sounds like an impactful one. And one that's so top of mind right now, especially, you know, when people think about diversity and, you know, obviously DEI, equity, inclusion, you know, it's obviously a very hot topic and rightfully so, but people don't talk about it as much from the angle that you just mentioned. 
You know, it really is, you know, a lot of people think, well, are you diverse, you know, racially? Is there different beliefs in that from like a religious perspective or, you know, name the hot topic right now, but uh, to really think about that uh, social biases that we've got ingrained from a young age and start to help make us more aware of that. So that way we can start to look at things from a different perspective. And as a parent now, you're like, now that we're paying more attention to it, it's like, what are we doing to our children? And how are we implanting that into their brains at such a young age? So curious how you guys are doing that in the household or, you know, if there's anything that you guys are, you know, consciously talking about as a couple as you're raising the little one. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there and just, Sarah just corrects my behaviors really. And rightfully so. You know, I grew up, I grew up in, a, in an Italian-Irish household that had a lot of preconceived, you know, you know, stereotypes and biases that were, you know, culturally, you know, influenced. Um, and I grew up in a predominantly white area. So like, you know, I, it's, you know, that was kind of my background, a lot of growth that I've had to go through. But, you know, I think that really, you know, it does carry forward um, in the, you know, the way we talk, uh, in the, the, the language we use. Um, and, you know, that's a great precursor to the conversation today is, you know, how are we showing up to our, as our best selves and displaying that for our children? Uh, what kind of social groups are we, uh, or, or, you know, just, you know, I guess, yeah, social groups that we're exposing our, our children to and how we're explaining the situations that are occurring in, the, you know, the modern world. And uh, you know, we're, not, we're not there yet at nine months, but we have to be cognizant yeah. of that every time, right? <laughs> so, you know, I'd love to hear from you about, you know, what, what y'all are doing too. Uh, but, you know, Sarah probably has her own thoughts here, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Not to, you know, a, a big theme in my book is a lot of, you know, kind of what my expectations were of myself from growing up. You know, there was certain language and, you know, a communication style around food or exercise and, you know, certain levels of achievement. And I don't want to have that conversation. I don't, I don't want that sort of communication in our house. Um, I realize, you know, sometimes it can be a little different between boys and girls, but, you know, boys can have those struggles as well. Um, I don't want us to use language like this is a good food. This is a bad food. There can be healthy foods. There can be tasty foods. Um, that's a really big kind of theme at the beginning of my book with um, disordered eating. Uh, other things, you know, we just we want him to be a kind human. I think that yeah. that's kind of the biggest, you know, challenge that we have as a parent to make sure that, um, especially with you know an only child, and you know we love him to death, so to make sure not to spoil him. But um, you know, and also both of us are in the recovery space, so you know we've talked a lot about how we're gonna you know communicate with him and show him how we live our lives without drugs and alcohol. Um, but you know, we—he also needs to have his own journey. We don't want to put all of that on him, yeah. you know, because we're working on ourselves all the time. This poor little guy is getting evaluated constantly, <laughs> googling, "Is this normal?" <laughs> oh, I'm in parent. We don't want to make him neurotic. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. A lot of things that you just said there that I'll, I'll follow up on. The food one to me is huge, especially I've got two young girls, right? I've got a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. And so, yeah, being conscious about how you talk through food at the dinner table, what's good, what's, what's bad, what, you know, is yucky, what don't you like versus, you know, creating this. I was a picky eater and I'm like, I do not want my girls to do that. 
Uh, and my wife is amazing with this. I mean, she definitely takes the lead on, you know, just introducing a whole different wide array of foods and then talking through like, why is this nutritious? What is this doing for your body? And not saying, yeah, it's good versus bad, but we do want to educate them on, you know, why we believe that food is medicine and why we think that what you put into your body is what you're going to be able to get out of your body. Um, and that's a big part of it. But again, you got to be careful, especially with young girls, how do you explain that in social media? Like, you know, we didn't grow up with that generation. So it'll be very curious to see how that impacts it because you see all the statistics, right? I mean, poor girls that are teenagers that are, you know, every picture that they post has been being scrutinized and evaluated. And, you know, it was always like that, but it wasn't out there in the internet for everybody to discuss. It was, you know, your local school and it's a lot different now. So um, yeah, food is a big one. I grew up in a town called Modesto, California, and so I was very fortunate to see a very diverse uh, group of individuals. I went to a high school that was actually predominantly Hispanic, and so it was you know, mostly Hispanic, which uh, my dad's from Mexico, uh, but I'm definitely not uh, you know, a very good uh, Spaniard, so to speak, uh, as far as being Spanish fluent, and he really wanted us to get ingrained in you know, being a part of you know, American culture, and I think that that was pretty commonplace back then was to really have us assimilate with the people that we were around. Uh, but, you know, we would have, you know, Mexicans, whites, blacks, Asians, and it was a pretty good mix. And so I feel very grateful for that. And then I went to school in San Diego, and it was a little bit different there than it was in yeah. high school. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay. What happened to the diversity? But it was just a different type of diversity. Now it was more like uh, economic diversity that I saw, uh, which was unique. So for me, we really want to make sure to introduce our girls to a wide range of people from all different walks of life. Uh, and we're fortunate to live in a nice area now, but we don't want to forget like where we came from and show her, uh, show them, you know, things that uh, people do struggle with and that we all need to be conscious of. Uh, and just the biggest thing as a parent, just be a good person. Like, please be kind. Like, that's literally all I care about. I care if you're a garbage picker or what you end up doing is a career, nothing wrong with that, but like be nice to people. And that would be it. So, you guys mentioned this book uh, thing that I, I know, Sarah, you've told me a little bit about it in the past, and now, uh, John, you also have mentioned it. So it's basically a program that you guys go through to be able to put that pen to paper. You sit down with other thought leaders in your space, and you guys just bounce ideas and then pick topics that you want to personally take on and discuss. I don't know if I have that accurate, but how do you go about those things that are so uh, individualized when you write a book? Like, you know, you did, Sarah, picking a name, picking uh, an image to go on the front, which both of them look great, uh, so it worked out, but, you know, some of those individualistic aspects of that, uh, how do you approach it in this type of program? Yeah, for my memoir, I was actually in a writing group with another, um, publishing company um, and we actually kind of got going during the pandemic since people couldn't meet together. Oh, I should go back. So the reason I even found out about any of, you know, this whole memoir world, the writing world was actually John from someone that he knew, um, an author, and we were supposed to go to uh, a workshop that would have been when the beginning of the pandemic started. And since we couldn't go there to learn about, you know, writing our memoir, which I had no plans of ever publishing a book. I just thought if I write it down, maybe when I'm speaking that I would kind of have it a little more succinct. Maybe I would learn something from it, which is very true. Um, and so I joined this group. And so I would meet 
many mornings at about 10 a.m. via Zoom with people and we would just write together. We would like turn off our cameras, maybe mute ourselves and at the end of it, talk about, hey, would you, how'd it go? Does anyone want to talk about anything? And we were all working on our own things. And so that's kind of how I started my process. And I did take a short course in how to self-publish. Mm. So um, the title was something I kind of started with. And then a few people, um, you know, weighed in with the title and then, um, you know, the subtitle. So Pearls and Probation. Um, it's Adventures of an Alcoholic Good Girl. So pearls, I mean, I kind of always have them on. Yeah, nice. um, you know, a lot of times people don't look at me as someone who has been on probation a couple of times for a DUI. Mm. So I wanted to put that out there. I wanted it to be kind of obvious uh, that this was gonna be a story for a certain audience. An audience that, you know, isn't thought of very often. You know, we don't all the time think of someone who's an alcoholic who's been in trouble with the law as someone who, you know, is also doing well professionally or, you know, living life okay from what everyone can see. You know, we always think of that person under the bridge with a bottle and a bag. So I wanted to change that perception and, um, you know, kind of give a, give a voice to those good girls who were just ashamed and hiding and have someone that they can look to to know that there is an option to change and there is, um, you know, the possibility of speaking out and having others to talk to that'll understand. Um, but that's kind of the, the title. And then the cover was just, um, I was doing a, a shoot to come up with some different uh, pictures for my website. And when we saw that cover, that was just the actual background behind us. Uh, we were like, okay, that's the book cover. Awesome. So uh, it just kind of all comes together. Uh, with the group one, we all voted. Um, the publisher came up with a few mocks and we were able to all vote. Yeah. Um, I, you could go back to your first book though. I think it's really great because through that writing process, you're able to, you know, find that like, Hey, you know, why, why, why am I drinking? You know, and you know, how can I capture that in a way where others can see some similarities, um, you know, traumatic events in their lives or, you know, decisions that they made or things that they were living with. Uh, that they were using, you know, alcohol as a coping mechanism uh, and addressing that. Uh, and I think you got a lot of feedback on, you know, from, from readers that say, wow, I'm, I'm so happy that you brought that up or talked about that and that really resonated with me. And I think that's really, you know, going through that writing process, you're able to be able to, you know, find those, those you, know, you know, key nuggets there and they're just able to share with folks that really resonate. So I think that's just a, you know, going through that writing process, I think you're able to really do that well. Yeah, it's so incredible it was. to do that, by the way. And, you know, just like, thank you for speaking your truth. And I, I can only imagine how hard that is. Like, you know, we all have internal demons, but to expose those to the world uh, in hopes of helping others that are also going through the same things, I mean, it's incredible. So apologies for cutting you off, but I just wanted to tell you that oh, it's no. very much needed in the world today. Thank you. Yeah. There's a good way to do that too, right? Storytelling is so powerful. I, I do it a lot at work, which is really uncomfortable sometimes. <laughs> I've gone to my like, uh, you know, my, uh, my 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 bosses and uh, you know my, my VPs of certain areas, and you know, walk in their office and like, hey, this is my background, and this is you know what I've been through, and they're just like, whoa. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, maybe I should board this a little differently, you know? Like, what's the, what's the desired uh, impact I'm trying to have here, and uh, you know, who's my audience? Um, but you know, whether it's a conference or a, you know just a speaking opportunity, or, or really you know trying to you know 
uh, inspire leadership to invest in certain programming. You know, I think being able to capture that story in a way where it actually has the intended impact and it's told in a way that's just right uh, where, it, where it has that. Uh, it's just so important. So really making sure you can spend the time to be able to curate that in a way where you can say, okay, you know, I, I feel good walking away with this and, you know, those that heard it, you know, actually, you know, got something out of it. Uh, instead of me just blurring all my words out, you know. Uh, and that was a learned experience for me too, is, you know, how to do that. And, uh, you know, it's so, so important today. And I love that that's something that we can do now. I feel like that's that is a very large result of, I think it was the pandemic, honestly, people getting to bring themselves as humans to work. Mm. Um, you know, being in the HR space, I spend a lot of my time talking to my employees about, well, that's not really how we talk about things at work, or can we not yell this, you know, those sorts of things. But being able to, like on my LinkedIn, I have my book posted, I have sobriety listed. Like it's a thing that we actually can talk about now and I don't feel ashamed. Mm. Honestly, I don't think, you know, a couple of years ago, that was something that was as acceptable. Um, you know, I'm going on eight years sober now and at the beginning, I never would have said anything mm. at all. I mean, that was like never in the professional space, but now it's something we, I do feel like is a, a conversation that people are having, you know, whether it's mental health or recovery, those sorts of things. Yeah, that's yeah. such a good point too, because you're right. I mean, once we went to pandemic and everybody worked from home, you got to peel back the covers of like, what were they like? You know, it's one thing to show up to an office, put on a, you know, facade and, you know, act like everything's all right and come in. And, you know, if you're performing, you're doing well, nobody thinks anything differently. But, you know, when you're at home, you've got kids at home or you've got other things that you're dealing with, you know, really just made everybody a lot more vulnerable, I think, uh, and more accepting of the people that are on the other side of that virtual Zoom call. Um, because you're right. I mean, nobody talked about alcoholism or addiction on their LinkedIn before and you know I've been in recruiting for a decade and so you know I've scoured through these for years but now it is fun to see people intertwine their life and things that they've gone through and the adversities that they've overcome uh, to now being able to advertise that is just part of who they are because you know LinkedIn isn't just something where you just say who I am as a professional it's who I am as a person and what I do professionally uh, I think it's been a big evolution of it so let's talk about you guys meeting first of all, because I, I kind of skimmed over that. But did you guys meet going through this journey together, you know, battling addiction and like, you know, AA or like, how did this happen? Oh. <laughs> we did meet at an AA conference in Puerto Vallarta, even though we lived in cities right next to each other. We easily could have met at a place like church or at a meeting, friends in common, but his friend was interested in one of my friends and we just kind of ended up having a conversation as a result. And gosh, I never thought I would, you know, be interested in some guy in AA, but there he was. And I knew pretty quickly that I was in trouble. This is gonna be the, this is the guy, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I want other people to hear that, you know, that that is okay and that there are success stories that come from it, right? Because we all know people that have gone through those and they're afraid to admit it, they're worried about how they're gonna look, but not only that, it's like, is my life over now once I do admit it? And you guys are perfect examples of, no, you can, your life starts to thrive after you get past whatever it is that you're struggling. And, uh, you know, it's fun to see a couple like yourselves that are pushing each other. I mean, to be both authors in the house while becoming parents and having successful careers, I mean, that is not easy, but you guys are doing a lot at a high level and it's motivating for somebody like myself. So uh, I hope others will take that away too. 
thank you. When's your guys' sobriety dates, by the way? Like, do you guys, uh, any big milestones coming up? You said eight years for you, I think, Sarah? Yeah, in August, I'll be eight years. Yeah. Yeah. I've been uh, coming around since I've been 18 years old. You know, it's been a long uh, journey for me, uh, but I have had intermittent, you know, periods of sobriety along the way. Um, this last year for uh, Jack's birthday, I celebrated 40 years, uh, four years sober, and um, one you know, Jack was born. So now every year, every July, you know, it's going to be a, a new landmark. So you know, five years, one year, and you know, um, so it's going to be exciting. Yeah, oh. July was a big year for him, or big month for him. Excuse yeah. me. It will be, be forever. Yeah. Yes, I love it. Sounds like it. So, what's the milestones of the house with Jack? By the way, uh, coming up on one year like what's what's the latest <laughs> he is all over the place he is nuts he throws everything we're trying to decide whether he's going to be a quarterback a pitcher or maybe a professional golfer but he does love music so uh he's all over the place he's going to be walking any minute now it's terrifying but it's amazing <laughs> yeah enjoy the crawling while it lasts because yeah once they start to walk it's a whole different ball game as i'm sure plenty of people <laughs> So to go back to your guys' journey though, 40 years, I mean, amazing and incredible. Like how, what, what have been some of the biggest things that you guys have learned? Like for those maybe that are, you know, thinking through, okay, maybe I do have something that I need to address, right? When was that point that you finally looked yourself in the mirror and decided, hey, this is who I want to become moving forward? And then some of those big key takeaways from that point on. Yeah, you know, for me, it, it wasn't that was that straightforward, right? I mean, I started, you know, you know, drinking and uh, you know doing drugs at an early age, um, you know, thirteen to fifteen, and it only you know increased in uh, you know severity over time. Even when there was periods of sobriety, you know, you get right back to it, and you know, it wasn't until I was able to look at you know what those the you know, underlying um, things were that I was trying to cover up those emotions, those feelings that. I was not willing to look at um, and be able to address those and work through those that I was able to see some change. And even through that process, sometimes, you know, you stop and go. Um, and it's not just, you know, a full 180 all of a sudden. And it's okay. That, that That's part of the recovery process is, you know, making some forward progress and, uh, you know, even if there's steps backwards. And I think that's really you know, being, you know, soft and gentle with yourself. But, you know, really around you know, building that community um, that you're able to lean on during those times is just so important, uh, whether it's family, your recovery circles, um, you know, your, your workplace culture now today is part of that too, and that wasn't in the past. Um, so, you know, that, that's really important too, is, you know, hey, if I started to struggle um, at work, uh, and I'm at work, you know, how, where, where's, where can I get some help? Where can, who can I talk to? Um, you know, that's more common, you know, uh, language these days or conversations where it wasn't, you know, five years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, but for me, uh, I'm also uh, ADHD, uh, Asperger, neurodiverse. Uh, so, you know, until I was able to, you know, uh, address those, get diagnoses uh, and begin a, uh, you know, treatment plan for those, I wasn't able to stay sober. Um, so, you know, so many of the, you know, same things, uh, the substances that I took recreationally, I, I take today, prescribed dosages, um, and I don't abuse them. Uh, so those are, you know, stigma medications and whatnot. So I think that's just really, you know, key to call out is that, you know, you know, we all have mental health. We all have potential um, instances why we abuse drugs and alcohol. Uh, and when you take that away, you know, those those really are, you know, highlighted. Uh, and, you know, those those symptoms or whatever those causes are, 
we have to pay attention to those things. We have to pay attention to ourselves. Um, and very similar to me finding, you know, who I was, you know, through the work I do today um, uh, with, uh, you know, understanding my, my true self. Um, it's the same thing with uh, being in recovery, you know, that, that continued, you know, uh, growth and self-development as well. And that's, that's really where, where recovery is. So, you know, um, you know, I have, to keep, I have to keep pulse on, you know, how I live my life on a regular basis uh, and continue to try to, you know, understand who I want to be um, and who I am today and what those gaps look like and, and how I want to change. And if we're not constantly looking at, you know, those, those gaps and where those areas of opportunity exist, you know, we have potential to become stagnant and, and even go backwards and start to self-seek uh, and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, start to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, cover up those feelings again, right? Yeah. So, you know, who we, who we have in those circles, who are we talking to, um, you know, and what are we doing on, on a regular basis to continue to grow? Uh, so it's been a long journey for me, um, you know, to be able to really understand and grasp that. Uh, but, you know, now that I, I do understand it, you know, it doesn't mean I don't even fall backwards today, right? Because sometimes it feels good just to take a step back and like, hey, I want to eat a lot of food, or I just want to, you know, watch TV, or, you know, I'm doing, I did something I'm proud of, and I don't, I want to keep it to myself, but I can't afford those uh, because I know what it does to me. Um, so, you know, at least I know that today, and I'm able to keep a pulse on it, and I have a great community and, uh, you know, uh, support uh, and networks around me, like Sarah here, so it makes it that much easier. Yeah, wow. I've got a couple thoughts on that, but the first one is you mentioned like the community and, you know, going through it at such a young age, crazy to think that you had to go through that, but what, like, how was it coming out to your parents or your loved ones, like for both of you? And I got to assume that, you know, is that the hardest part? Is it the friends? Is it the family? Is it both? Like, how did you guys approach those reveals and, you know, really started uh, telling them? I think they knew before I was willing to say it out loud. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a family disease within my family. So my like my father knew many years before I was able to say it out loud. Having you know he was raised by an alcoholic mother, and you know, I think my family and friends were worried about me for a long time before I was willing to say anything out loud. Um, but the second that I did, I just had this level of freedom and I didn't know what to do. I pretty much was sure my life was over, but knowing that there was something else out there, you know, I was, I was open to it. I didn't want to live that way anymore. It was exhausting. <laughs> so can I ask you a question? Like if you have, you know, friends or, you know, people, relatives, maybe somebody listening does that they know, right? They're going through it, uh, but they haven't addressed it yet or they don't know how to sit them down and talk to them about it. Like, how would you guys have wished that somebody would have talked to you or, you know, now that going through all this learning and growth you've been on, you know, how would you educate somebody to go, go on that kind of conversation? Yeah, you know, for, for me, it, I wish it was that straightforward again, but um, a few takeaways is I wish I wasn't enabled, um, you know, along the way and instead of just trying to you know, offer solutions to my problems and really talking about you know what's going on and you know why that's happening um, you know I've, my family is very uh, loving and, and resourceful so you know they, they try to fix it in their own ways um, you know and I think that may have progressed it further um, and even same thing developmentally with you know being on the spectrum you know it's like oh let's ignore that or you know let's pretend that didn't happen or you know, 
um, and just not, you know, hey, maybe there's something to this, right? You know, maybe John learns a different way. Uh, maybe he communicates a different way. Um, and those things are tied, you know, hand in hand together. Um, you know, 50% of probably a lot more of uh, few folks that are ADHD are also, you know, uh, self-medicating and are, you know, alcoholics and, uh, you know, substance use abusers. So um, I don't think there's any, um, uh, you know, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it, coincidence. Coincidence there, right? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's pretty apparent that, that those things go hand in hand. Uh, but I, I think also, um, you know, not yeah, yeah, knowing, I guess, uh, you know, knowledge of this power in this situation too and what resources exist and how to talk about these situations. Just like we have, uh, you know, networks and, uh, you know, community to lean on. I think it's so important for folks that, you know, are, you know, uh, have loved ones or friends that uh, are struggling to understand, you know, how to best support those individuals uh, by others that are going through it or have gone through it. Uh, and that I think that's really helps folks feel that they're not alone uh, and gives them some uh, understanding of um, the various, uh, I guess, examples of how addiction, you know, really manifests on a day-to-day basis. and you know, how you can you know, work through those things um, and, you know, how sometimes, you know, not doing anything is best um, or how, you know, um, you're not enabling those behaviors or, um, you know, just a lot of them. someone out every time. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, with Jack not helping him, oh. but, but I know that, you know, no one was going to bail me out when I hit my bottom and, uh, I knew I had to, you have to want it yourself. You have to be able to make that decision to make a change in your life. No one can want it for you. And I've learned that in recovery as well as I've uh, supported other women. You know, that's a hard lesson to learn when you want sobriety for someone more than they do. That's, it's not gonna work. Unfortunately, I think too many people have probably felt that feeling. You know, it's like you want it for them. You hope that they can come out of it, but until they make that decision consciously, it's not going to happen. So, you know, you guys are both, obviously, Sarah, you're in the HR, you're in the recruiting space. John, you work for Amazon, talking about some of these things, you know, to the, one of the best companies in the world. Uh, what are some tactical tips that companies or HR leaders, recruiters can do, you know, when you're dealing with both candidates that maybe have this as a part of, you know, their profile, probably not on their resume, but it's on their LinkedIn, or more so, John, for you as companies that want to start to bring this to light where their uh, mindfulness and uh, given the, the safe space to discuss these areas to grow, uh, which, you know, usually probably aren't talked about too often, especially, you know, smaller organizations that aren't as big as Amazon with all the resources that you have. So two-parter there for you both. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of that, that question there. I mean, it's it's, it's a complex uh, situation, but I guess first and foremost is you know understanding um, you know all the the resources uh, both internally and externally, uh, and bringing those to uh, light and being able to understand how you can leverage those uh, you know in various situations, and then um, you know really helping uh, employees feel like they can, you know, talk about this, like you mentioned, creating that safe space. Um, if those don't exist, you know, how can how can organizations create that? Um, and, and what does that look like? Where does that reside? Um, you know, how is it uh, managed by the employees or the business? 
um, and you know how can the business feel comfortable, you know, operating, you know, with it there and, and not look at that as risk and potential as a as a resource instead. Uh, so, so a lot of stuff to think about there, but there, there's toolkits there for organizations to look at and adopt now, um, you know, both from a mental health and well-being standpoint, um, you know, with disability inclusion, neurodiversity, uh, same thing with recruiting um, and, you know, talent, uh, you know, management, um, you know, how can we take those best practices and industry, um, you know, learnings uh, into these conversations with new talent and be able to offer an equitable uh, hiring experience and, uh, you, know, you know, also enable them to have success in the workplace across the employee life cycle. Um, and those are the things that we're starting to look at now organizationally, you know, across the industry. Um, because it's not just about, you know, finding talent. It's about, you know, really, hey, how can we help these, this talent flourish when there are, you know, disparities? Um, and, uh, you know, um, if there are, you know, how can you bring your authentic self to work? Uh, really feel like you're being enabled for success? Um, and, you know, how can the business, you know, really support individuals, uh, you know, self-growth and career growth and, um, you know, uh, really be invested in that? And I think that's really been something that, you know, some some companies miss you know they, they just uh they, talent comes in you know it leaves more talent comes in and just it's that rotating you know cycle but you know when, when folks really feel you know that, that sense of belonging and understand what that means um you know you really start to see you know individuals investing in their organizations and really producing at you know levels they haven't seen before too so it's a win-win for everybody yeah, i think when you get those employees you know invested in the company because you're investing in them you know, good things are going to happen when you're doing it just for the bottom line. You know, it's one thing, but when you're truly trying to help this person upskill themselves to be the best version that they can come to work with every single day, you know, the results and the profits are going to come from that. Is there anything that I should check out or resources that you'd recommend, like toolkit-wise, or you know, I'm building a business right now, and so you know, anything that I should be thinking of, or, or you know, companies that I should be looking at to say, hey, here's a good one that's modeling and leading from the front. Uh, toolkit from Hazleton? Yeah, I mean, it all depends. I mean, it, I mean, we talk about so many different like areas of focus, whether it's addiction recovery, you know, we have Hazleton, Betty Ford, they have a toolkit for recovery-friendly workplace. You know, we talk about disability inclusion. Um, we have, uh, you know, partners like Disability In, um, as well as Business Disability Forum, you know, organizational, um, you know, uh, industry leaders uh, that, around disability inclusion that, that have toolkits uh, and benchmarking available for organizations. Um, when you talk about the mental health space, you know, there's consortiums of employee uh, resource groups across, you know, various uh, companies that, that are coming together uh, for uh, mental health. Uh, I forget the name of the organization specifically, but I'll have to get back to you on that. Um, but, you know, there's all kinds of resources um, and, uh, you know, areas of, uh, you know, uh, collaboration in these spaces that are coming together to really help. You know, uh, folks, uh, you know, understand what to do, um, and uh, put those resources out there, and not really hold on to them anymore. But these are, you know, these are meant to be shared. <laughs> A much smaller scale. So in my in my personal coaching, I had some people, uh, some clients come to me. Hey, you know, I have this on my background. I had I, I had a DUI, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. How do I apply for jobs? Can I apply for jobs? How do I, you know, bring this up when it comes up on my background check? And you know, I tell people apply for everything. I mean, this is probably some uh, you know advice that you've given. You know, just because a job description says something that you might not have, just apply. Give yourself that opportunity, and you know. 
fully disclosed. That's one of the big things is there's not going to be judgment and there are laws in place to protect us. So disclose what's going to be on your background check. You know, I, I had a run in and I shouldn't say run in, but an opportunity to discuss it um, early on in my recovery. I thought that it wasn't going to be there any longer because I had done everything that the courts had asked and it still was showing up. And, you know, I spoke with the recruiter just said, oh, you know, this is on here. And I, I, I didn't know what to say. I called my sponsor and actually had a little conversation. I called my attorney and had a little conversation and both encouraged me to just be open and honest. And so I told her, hey, I've been in recovery this long. This is what I've done with the courts. Everything's taken care of. And she said, thank you so much for that story. My father is an alcoholic and I wish that he would, you know, take care of it also. So they were happy to hire me. It wasn't something that was going to be a barrier. You just need to give all the facts and the details. Um, it's not something that is you know, going to be a barrier to our success. And heck, I, I like hiring people that have, you know, some experience, you know, that, you know, are living the life that they want. You know, if we're going to make all these big changes in our lives, we might as well be doing what we love, not necessarily holding back. Yeah. I really like that. And sometimes you need a little bit of a chip on your shoulder to, to prove who you are and what you can accomplish, right? Oh. Well, I know that we're coming close to the end, uh, but I, we didn't get to talk as much about the book as I would like to. So uh, shameless plug, but John, let's you know talk a little bit about yours for a minute, uh, if you don't mind, and maybe where people should check it out, if there's any other resources they should look at, and you know how can I make sure to point people in your direction, uh, and then we'll do the same for Sarah. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it brief. Um, you know, go to Amazon. Uh, diversity <laughs> in humanity. Um, real straightforward, simple. Uh, you'll see the book there. It's available uh, in hardcover or uh, paperback as well as you know on Audible. Uh, so I'm sorry, uh, Kindle. Uh, so check it out. Uh, you'll get all the author uh, connects uh, and uh, links there uh, as well. So it makes it really easy for everybody. Um, but yeah, thanks. <laughs> All of mine's on Amazon as well. Uh, but I do have sarahalemo.com and um, Sarah Diane Alemo is my Instagram, where I do. Um, I have not been sharing as much since in the last nine months since uh, Jack was born, but um, I was sharing a lot of tips in recovery and then also tips for career happiness. Uh, so yes, my books are on Amazon: um, Pearls and Probation, Adventures of an Alcoholic Good Girl and um, Audible is available. I did read my own book, so that was um, a crazy experience. And then X Factor is on there as well. So that is um, also under Soul Excellence Publishing. So that's who we worked with for our collaborations. So just gonna keep giving them a shout out because we love working with Kaylee. Uh, I gotta check it out. <laughs> I'm sure I might need to try to find a way to talk to her about it too, but... Uh... Yeah. Yes, you should. That's awesome, you guys. <laughs> Thank you both for you know coming on, sharing a little bit about your guys' story, your truth, being genuine, being authentic. Uh, it's not an easy story to tell. I know that, I'm sure. And uh, it's just grateful that you guys have come on here, but also you know what you've done with your books. And you know hopefully people will go check them out. I'll obviously put them in the show notes. So it was great to meet you both. Uh, congratulations, nine months. Jack, I can't wait to hear about the milestones and follow along on your guys' parenting journey. Uh, but I hope parents can take some something away today uh, from this conversation. So wishing you both the best. Thanks for coming on.
And that's a wrap for episode number 16. I know these are some heavy topics, but ones that I felt were crucial to explore, and I'm so grateful to have them on the pod to share their authentic stories. I know it's not easy, and I hope that this can help a family or any individual out there that might be dealing with addiction in theirs, uh, and give hope to see such a powerful couple that have overcome those demons and are thriving today. If you want to find more from Sarah or John, follow along on LinkedIn or check out the links in the show notes to their websites and books. And as always, if you like the show, it would fire me up for you to share this episode with a friend, a father, a parent, anybody struggling themselves. Uh, Please hit the subscribe button, give that five-star rating, or leave a review to tell me what you thought. So thanks again for tuning in. Now go be great and go fitfo some shit out.